searching the scriptures more diligently. This has been a topic I've been meaning to cover for a while, and it's one that <clears throat> applies to all of us, no matter what level of scriptural knowledge or understanding any of us are at, because there's always more to learn. And hopefully, I know that uh, it's been a minute since I've been here live with everyone, and you all know that I can go really fast. I'm going to try and go slow. I promise. <laughs> I promise I would not go so fast. I originally had two full pages of notes on <clears throat> uh, different uh, techniques or, or skills or whatever you want to call them to implement when trying to get more out of the scriptures. And I thought to myself, there's no way I could do a lesson on this. It'll be another three-hour lecture and people will fall asleep and they'll hate it and no one will watch it and no one will learn anything. And they'll still study the scriptures badly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So really excited. Please share this. Share this with in, any of your friends or family. Uh, I'm just going to share some techniques that um, not only I have discovered, but also other people who are way smarter than I am have shared and that I've gleaned over the course of years. And they're really helpful. And hopefully you'll find them helpful. And as we jump in, let's just introduce for a second uh, let's just introduce for a second uh, the relevance of this topic. Now, aside from the obvious, like, okay, you want to learn more of the scriptures, duh. Uh, aside from the obvious, there are a couple of things that studying the scriptures addresses or or might address as we are trying to talk to uh, each other, learning doctrine, uh, teaching friends or family or or whatever it is. I know that in this community, a lot of us find ourselves in these kinds of discussions all the time, especially like in our Doctrine of Christ Facebook group, um, but all over. The people that we all interact with are extremely active in trying to learn the gospel, and the scriptures are clearly where we go for that. Always hopefully, right? Uh, so I want to show, so I want to show a scripture as we're talking about this. Now, one thing that comes up all the time, and this scripture is going to address it a little bit, and we're going to dive in to a couple of these techniques and, and try and pull some examples up out of scriptures, and hopefully it gives enough for y'all to work on or implement whatever. Uh, but what we come across so often from people is, oh, well, that's just your interpretation of scripture, right? I'm just curious. We have We have a live feed even if you're watching the replay, but please tell me if you've ever come across someone saying that to you as a rebuttal. That's just your interpretation. I can raise my hand 500 times, <laughs> especially as someone who actively uh, teaches from the scriptures a lot and talks about the scriptures a lot. I run into that all the time. Uh, and it's crazy. It's crazy how often I hear that. Now, that's a that's a tradition and it's 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 understandable because from the from the dawn of time that there were scriptures there has been this type of thing so again i was saying i want to come and bring up this scripture on here so we can talk about this idea of the scriptures and what what is what is this idea of of getting that interpretation if it's true or not etc 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 
So let me pull this up. This is in 2 Nephi 31, which will be significant throughout this evening. Okay, so join with me here. Let's pull this up. Okay, 2 Nephi 31, verse 3. Look at this. For my soul delights in plainness, Nephi says, for after this manner does the Lord work. So plain, he already he already is establishing a sort of baseline, and that baseline is simplicity or plainness. All right, this actually matters. Uh, for the Lord God gives light unto the understanding. Okay, awesome. Reference DNC eighty-eight, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For He speaks unto men according to their language, unto their understanding. This phrase is so important. Uh, this phrase is so important because if if we are going if we're going to go to the scriptures and we're going to try and learn something, uh, there's Jeffrey prophesying that I'm going to go. To, yes, we are going to go there. <laughs> Jeffrey, uh, thank you. Jeffrey says, I wonder if he's going to ring up Second Peter one twenty. That is where we're going next. Thank you. But if but if we're going to try and go to the scriptures and and discover truth, then there has to be something that's objective. There has to be a standard. We don't just call them the standard works just for the heck of it. We call them the standard works because they're meant to be a standard. But if there's no standard to understand them, there's no point. There is a standard. And Nephi's kind of laying it out here a little bit. He says, it's plainness. It's simple. And the Lord speaks plainly according to their language unto the understanding. So as, as I start talking about a couple of the um, techniques, I guess I'll call them techniques. Uh, as I go into a couple of these techniques tonight, we'll just do a few tonight so we can walk through some uh examples so that you're not too overwhelmed with this video. Again, this is part one. I decided I'd break it up into a little mini series. If it's boring, it'll just be part one and that's it. And I won't have you watch anymore. Uh, but if it works great and you like it, then I, like I said, I have two pages of notes on things that really have helped me and others that have taught me and shared with me over the last 20 years, important things to use in studying the scriptures to get more out of them. All right. So I will make it a mini series and just do a few here and there as, as the schedule permits. So this is part one. All right. Just there we go. So that this is our introduction. Uh, yeah, exactly. Standard of understanding. Thank you, Paleo Dust. Uh, so here he speaks to the language to their understanding. With that in mind, from, from Nephi, let's talk about um, the Book of Mormon language. Let's talk about the Doctrine and Covenants language. Let's talk about the Old Testament language. Let's talk about the New Testament language real quick, real simple. Book of Mormon, even though it was written by the prophets forever ago, was translated by Joseph Smith in the late 1820s. Okay. The late 1820s. That's significant. Because if the Lord is doing this, speaking through Joseph according to their language, to their understanding, then it's important to note that the Book of Mormon was translated by Joseph Smith with you know his his various scribes along the way, Martin Harris, Emma, Samuel for a little bit of time, Oliver Cowdery, 
even Joseph's a little bit of his own as well. But it's their language, right? The reason why that matters, because in the late 1820s, uh, there was a standard of speech, and so this is an important dictionary for you to use, all right? This is Webster's 1828 dictionary. Look at the year on this, 1828. When was the Book of Mormon finished translating? 1829, one year later. So this is a very relevant uh, resource to pull out some more information when we're trying to define terms. Now, defining terms is important because it's like, well, what does this word mean? Or what did the Lord mean or by having this word be used here? Does that make sense? So we're reading a scripture. We're jumping in here. We're looking at Nephi, right? And and we're coming through and we find a word. And we're like, oh, let's, let's take this word and look at it. Unholy or whatever. Here's a word. How should it be defined? Now, if I attempt to use modern day usage and current usage and uh, a dictionary that's from now, it could help just as much. However, it's possible that there were more uh, or slightly different usages of a word or words back then. So as we're talking about technique number one, this is all about the English language for those of us that speak English. And it's important because the Lord right here through Nephi says, it's basically like a promise that you can take to the bank. That we can count on the Lord to speak unto us according to our language and our understanding. And by the way, this is also helpful for personal revelation. Uh, but since we're not getting into that, into that tonight, I just wanted to mention that we've been doing several episodes and live streams talking about this. So this is just as pertinent to that topic. However, here for the scriptures, we can count on it, right? And in addition to the Book of Mormon, we also have the Doctrine and Covenants that came out same time. Now, the Book of Mormon, again, you have to take out from your mind the idea that this was written by these prophets from the hundreds of years ago. Well, yeah, but it was translated into English in the time that this English dictionary was applicable. And so... So also the Doctrine and Covenants. So the Doctrine and Covenants, the majority in the early 1830s, the majority of Doctrine and Covenants comes in the early 1830s. Well, here you go, Webster Dictionary 1828. So this resource is going to be important to use as you're trying to study and take note of that. Um, in addition to that, um, and we're going to take a look real quick right here, we want to be able to define scriptures the way that the Lord uses them. And before we go to this one, we're going to jump to what we just uh, mentioned, Second uh, Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. So we're going right to the end of the chapter. Now, people love to quote this, but are we, are we understanding it properly? Well, after I tell you what it means, you're going to be tempted to say that's just my own interpretation. <laughs> Fair enough. Here we go. So check it out. Knowing this first, well, let's back up. He's in the middle of, he's in the middle of something here. Knowing this first, knowing what first? Let's back up. This is also something that we're going to be getting to later tonight, and it's all about context, uh, and we'll talk more about that. But this, he's obviously in the middle of something. So here we go. Here's a statement. 
we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. A reference to Christ and the second comforter, by the way. Okay, so knowing this first, so, so this is now interjecting as a preface to this. So sometimes you know how you 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 start telling a story to someone or instructions and you say, oh wait, but before that, da, da, da. so sometimes you speak and things come out of order, right? And when it comes out of order, you say, oh, well, before that, here's that. So knowing knowing this first, knowing what first? Well, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Private interpretation. So this does mean that I don't get to just say that it means whatever I want it to mean, or that no one gets to say whatever they want it to mean, including anyone that has any title in church. So it doesn't matter that someone says, I'm the bishop, I'm the stake president, I'm an area of 70, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet. It doesn't matter who you are. Private means that person. So whether someone is the prophet or the president of the church or apostle, any calling, it doesn't matter. This is what private means, any one of them, because uh, scriptures have an interpretation. Now, in some cases, just to make your head blow, some scriptures have like five interpretations, but they're all true. That's different. That's multiple layers of meaning. And that's different than your truth versus my truth. And anyone can have truth and they can all contradict each other. That's different because that's not a thing. All right. And so with the Lord, he says, I'll prove all of his words. All right. Um and Nephi, so let's jump back to Nephi real quick. Second Nephi 11. He's also going to tell us this. Now we can see this throughout the scriptures. Uh, but since we're using Nephi, I love using Nephi as an example. He's just fabulously simple. And that one's harder to argue with. And yet you'd be surprised how many people like to say, oh, well, what Nephi just said is your own interpretation. Okay, whatever. And Verse 3 here, 2 Nephi 11, 3. So my brother Jacob also has seen Christ, as I've seen him. Interesting. Uh, we'll, we're not here to talk about that, but we love this verse. Wherefore, I will send their words forth unto my children to prove unto them that my words are true. So this word here becomes significant, and we're going to come to it again in the scripture. Wherefore, by the words of three, God has said, I will establish my word. Nevertheless, God sends more witnesses than three, more than three, and he proves all his words. So what how does this relate? So when we're looking for an interpretation, the correct interpretation, or in the case of possible multiple interpretations where they all fit and they don't contradict each other, uh, this is important, that we have to understand that throughout the scriptures, God is going to prove his words. And this, this uh, topic of multiple witnesses is really helpful because it's not just um, uh, it's not just hearing three different people say the same thing per se. Sometimes it's being able to put the pieces of a puzzle together and using three or four or five, or in the 
case really with most scriptures, a hundred different pieces that all point to the same thing. So it's a proof. Now, back in the back in the day of good old geometry, for those of you that either took it and remember it or want to pretend you did, uh, we have proofs in geometry where they say, okay, well, if we can establish these simple ideas, then like this angle and this angle and this angle, then we can prove something at the bottom. Or if you are a detective on a case and you say, okay, well, certain principles of physics had to be at play here or certain pieces of information that we know happened with the evidences that are laid here. We start laying these things out and as we add them up, we can then deduce a conclusion and that would be called a proof. Why does this matter? Well, because it just says he proves all of his words. So we have to know what the word prove even means. What does it mean to prove something? What does it mean to prove? People like to use it all the time. Prove. Can you prove it? Prove, and, and then you actually prove it and they say you didn't prove it. And you're just like, well, do you even know what proof means? So proof, a proof, is being able to show that with so many pieces of information, there can only be one logical conclusion that comes to the end. So as we go through the scriptures, some of these examples, you'll see that. Now that matters. That matters. And this is all, again, uh, the, the introduction before we jump into some of these examples. This is the introduction so that you understand the importance of knowing that there is a standard. There is objectivity in the scriptures. The private interpretation means you don't get to just decide no man, no woman gets to just decide what it means. You you should be able to show it, okay? Now, that takes some humility because as we're all learning the scriptures, uh, how unsearchable are the mysteries of God, right? The scriptures can be studied for forever. Well, that's fine because each of us can grow wherever we're at and understand that there is something else we can attain to. So if we keep that humility overhead on top of us we're going to be okay but just because we do that that does not mean that certain truths that have already been proven don't stay true no 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 that's the difference the difference is as we're building upon these blocks of truth that have been proven that we can prove in scriptures and we stay open to having more added to that more understanding as nephi just said the lord gives light to the understanding. This is talking about growing in understanding or taking veils away so that more light knowledge can come down into our minds. That's what this is talking about. Then we're going to grow in that thing. Okay. So private interpretation is there, there's God's interpretation. And as a result of knowing that there is God's interpretation and not private man's interpretation, and we know that God proves his words according to Nephi and elsewhere in the scriptures. He proves his words. So we want to then start approaching the scriptures with this in mind. So he speaks to our understanding and according to our language. So we'd say, okay, well, according to... According to the understanding, according to Joseph's understanding at the time, this word meant such and such. I, I typed, I highlighted unholy so we could just look up unholy. 
So, okay, here's some awesome little tidbits to unholy and some other words that we don't use so much like impious, not hallowed, right? This is helpful because if we can start putting that together, now I am proving to you right at this moment that there is a certain correct understanding to scriptures. So just now by pulling these out, that's a, just a little mini proof or logical conclusion for you to use. And this is important. This is important. And when when you read discourses from the prophet Joseph Smith, um, which you can access online, you can access the electronic version of Words of Joseph Smith uh, compiled by Andy Ehat, which is discourses in the Nauvoo era. That's fantastic. Or you can find them on the Joseph Smith papers um, website, etc. If you have teaching the prophet Joseph Smith, that's a little less easy because you don't have the references and whatnot in them. But regardless, when he gives a sermon so many times, you're going to see Joseph's reasoning that he'll read a passage and then he'll do exactly this idea where he says, well, if he says this and he says this, then we need to deduce and come to this conclusion. All right. That's important. So that when we do it or when you do it, and you're talking to your mom, you're talking to your brother, you're talking to your friend, and they try and pull that out on you, you can try and come to these scriptures and say, well, hang on a second. God says he'll prove his words, and he'll do it with three witnesses. He'll do it with more witnesses. Nephi said he would, and, and once you start seeing it, it's all over in the scriptures. All these, all these things, all these truths, they're all over in the scriptures. The truth of the gospel, it's all throughout. So the Lord does actually prove it, all right? And we're going to just see a couple examples tonight. And that way, you can take these principles and work on them. So let's jump into one. Now that we're in 2 Nephi 31, let's scroll down later in the chapter for a second. And I'm going to show an example. Okay, 16, 17. Wherefore, verse 17, do the things which I've told you I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. For for this cause have they been shown unto me, that ye might know the gate by which ye should enter. Okay, I'm going to highlight that we're talking about the gate here. Entering a gate. For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and then comes remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. I'll, in a, an interesting note, it doesn't change the meaning a ton, but it does help with the meaning. This semicolon um, is meant to be a colon. Um we can see that from the earlier editions of the Book of Mormon, including the, and especially the authorized version in 1840 and 42 uh, by Joseph Smith. So that links, and, and, and that's it's important because we're going to talk about this phrase right here. We're talking about this phrase right here. So the colon links this phrase to that. And then, and then, see here, after that, are you in this straight and narrow path? And then after that, so then means after that, by the way. Then you're in this straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. Okay, so here in 2 Nephi 31, Nephi lays out this. Okay, well, if we skip over to chapter 32, check it out. We're going to jump down to 
verse 5. Check this out. I love this. So the, Nephi's still going on. He doesn't, he doesn't stop. At the end of chapter 31, he he says, okay, discourse ended, amen. But then he says, and now behold, I suppose that you're still wondering what I just said, so I'm going to keep talking because you didn't get it. All right, that's that's verse one. In fact, you could, in, the, in Dustin's new translation, that's what it's going to say. So verse five, for behold, I, again, I say unto you, if ye will enter in by the way. Now notice he doesn't say the word gate. Is he supposed to say the word gate? Is he talking about the same thing? Well, he says, again, I say, which means he's already said it. See this? Again, I say unto you. Again, he says, well, he already said it. And that was right here what we just read. We read it here in verse 17 and 18. So the gate by which you should enter. And then you're in this straight and narrow path. All right. Well. This is bringing up a couple of things. One, we just saw Nephi say different words to say the same thing. This is extremely important. If you don't catch that, you're going to start to miss the God's interpretation. And then you're going to have your own private interpretation. This is where private interpretation, interpretation comes from. You're going to miss all this stuff because you didn't pay attention to the fact that Nephi is talking about the same thing using different words. So, so this is, this is synonyms. All right. This is synonyms. And with synonyms here, let's, let's pull this up. So synonyms, in this case, we're specifically talking about, he said, path. Well, he said, enter and get on the path. And then he said, enter to get in the way. Now, those are two different words in English, but... Other languages use the same word for both of them. The way is what you walk on. The path is what you walk on. It's the same thing. And if you don't catch that, uh, if you don't catch that, then you're going to miss that. Oh, wait, he's talking about the same thing here. The next thing here is I was already doing. So I'm going to back up. This is the fun challenge of this kind of lesson because we're, we are using the scriptures. I'm unfolding a little bit of doctrine but I'm actually trying to talk to you more about how we're coming up with it. So we have these different techniques. Again, these techniques are about speaking according to our language and according to our understanding. Well, path and way, we don't necessarily use path a ton in today, but if, but if I look up, if I look up in a thesaurus and I uh, pull up, path or I pull up way, then we very much will start to see, oh yeah, look, and and you find some other ones. So synonyms is important. Well, the other thing, let's jump back on here. Where is it? There it is. Okay. The other thing that was a clue 
is the word enter. So if you miss the synonym, what helps trigger it is the fact that he's using the same word here, enter on to get on the path. And then 32.5, he says, enter in by the way. So that should clue you in. He's saying the same word, all right? And if that didn't clue you in, uh, what we pointed out here, again, I say unto you, this means he already said it. So now you should be looking for when did he say it? Again, I say unto you. So that is a big clue. Whenever you see, again, I say unto you, that means it was already said. Now, sometimes in uh, the New Testament with Jesus or in third Nephi with Jesus, when it comes to, to the Nephites, he'll say something and then he'll say, again, I say unto you, and literally repeat the same words. Well, that one is unmistakable because it's literally the same words. But what's harder is when it's different words saying the same thing. So here we have a simple example of it, and it's not too tough, and I'm, I'm trying to keep to some simple examples to really thoroughly show you how once you dissect it according to our language, see, this is why grammar matters, right? Uh, according to our language, according to understanding, first he says, again, I say unto, which means he already said it. Then he has that word which should trigger where he said it, enter enter. Well, he only says enter once in the previous chapter. And if you're not sure, you can use the, the digital search on your phone. It's fantastic. Um, in fact, let me just let me just pull it up on here so that if you don't ever use this, you should you should be converted to using it. You'll come to come to your scriptures, your gospel library app, hit the little uh, search thing down here in the bottom right. And Type in, type in the word. Actually, first let's go to let's go to the reference just real quick so that you see what I mean. Go to Book of Mormon, Second Nephi, thirty-one. Okay, so I'm in thirty-one, and I'm trying to find where he said enter, so I can know he says again. I say unto you, well, where did he say it before? Well, look at the options here on the page. Just search for enter through all of scriptures or search enter on the page. Well, I want to search enter on the page because I'm on the page of chapter 31. So I click that one. And then, okay, there's enter. Oh, look, straightness of the path. There's the word path again. The gate by which they should enter, interesting. But look at the bottom of the screen here. It says one of five matches. It might be a little small on your screen. Um, go down to the next one. Oh, look, it takes us right to where we were. Verse 17, we have enter, enter, and look, the first enter is talked about with gate, just like earlier in verse 10. Enter, enter, all right? And then there's two more, and he re he reiterates in 18 where we didn't quite read yet. Yeah, you have entered by the gate, huh? And then, look, the promise which he made that if you entered in, oh, look, by the way, you should receive. So... Honestly, if we were just reading down to verse 18, we should have caught way and path being interchanged. Because right here, you see way when he just said path up here in the top of 18. So top of 18, he says path. Bottom of 18, he says way. But if you didn't catch it, then by the time you get into the next chapter, 
you need to catch it because he starts to use different words here in the next chapter. That's when it's really important because if he's using different words, you're going to miss it. And the different words that I'm specifically talking about is not way versus path. It's right here. And receive the Holy Ghost. So verse 5, for behold, again I say unto you, like I said in the last chapter, because Nephi was literally talking in chapters, he stopped and said, I'm finishing chapter 31, now I'm starting chapter 32. I'm kidding, I'm being sarcastic, because I'm going to talk about that. This is one of our points tonight. If you enter in by the way, and you receive the Holy Ghost, it shows you what you should do. Nephi never said receive the Holy Ghost. He never said receive the Holy Ghost. He never does in the previous chapter. He doesn't say that. And yet he just barely said, again, I'm telling you. Huh? Well, the, this is not a hard equation to figure out as long as we just put a little effort, a little brain into it. What we see that we looked at the previous time in verse 17, here it is. Scroll up, here we are, 17. Once you enter, what do you get? You get a remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. By fire and by the Holy Ghost. So Nephi is telling us that receiving the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost is the same thing as receiving the Holy Ghost. Does that make sense? So in that, in that sense, here we go. In that sense, it's not just a synonym of words. It's a synonym of phrases. In this case, receive the baptism of fire slash Holy Ghost versus receive the Holy Ghost. We have just built, or we've just begun to build, um, a sort of scriptural dictionary or glossary, right? Or a, or a scriptural thesaurus, I really should say, because we're talking about synonyms. That's thesaurus, right? So we're just building a scriptural thesaurus. Why, why do I say scriptural thesaurus? Well, if I go back to... Uh, Webster's Dictionary. Webster's Dictionary is not going to tell me that uh, baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost equals receive the Holy Ghost, right? Because that's not that's not the point of Webster's Dictionary. That's not the point. Webster's Dictionary will tell me what holy means, what ghost means, right? And if I went to a thesaurus and I typed in baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, I don't get it. So that shows us that we have to sometimes use the scriptures to define the scriptures. In other words, the Lord is proving all his words. He's, he's talking about this. So let us look at another quick example here. Let's pull up. In the same realm, we're talking about the Lord proving all his words. So we just have this, we just had uh, Nephi build kind of a mini phrase, synonym phrase. But now we want to see, does, does the Lord prove his words here? And confirm that that was actually the right thing. Well, let's jump into Helaman 5 really quick. And take a look at this. So Helaman 5, we have this awesome experience. We scroll down in the latter half of the chapter. 
We scroll down, and in here, Nephi and Lehi, the sons of Helaman II, have been arrested. They're in a prison. These 300 Lamanites slash some Nephite dissenters come in to kill them. And when they come in, they see that they're circled about by fire. And then the craziest thing happens. The craziest thing happens. They're threatened with the destruction. A dark cloud comes over them. The voice of God comes and says, stop being bad. And they go, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. And then all of a sudden, uh, they look to the Nephite descender dude, Aminadab, and they're like, what's going on? And he's like, I can see them. And they look like they're on fire. And they're talking to angels. And they're talking to the Lord. And they're like, what do we do? You guys like my recap? I don't want to read all the scriptures so I would get to the point that we're talking about. And they're like, what do we do? And he says, trust me, this is all here. I promise I'm not telling you. I'm not leading you amiss. All of this is here. And they say, what do we do? And he says, you got to cry to the voice until, until the, the voice departs the cloud of darkness and, and, we're, and we're liberated. You know, he, he mentions Amulek and he says, he said, we got to pray for forgiveness for our sins. And we're obviously big sinners. So we got to stop. So they stop and they pray. And then the craziest thing happens to them. Same crazy thing that was happening to Nephi and Lehi. That's right. Check it out. We have fire all of a sudden come down on them. All right. And all of a sudden they're encircled about by angels and fire. And then they hear the voice again, except this time it's not a voice saying you are bad. It's a voice saying, hey, good job. <laughs> now, why am I telling you this story? Well, nowhere here in this chapter do we get any definition of what this experience was called. Um, so just so you believe in me, you know, they're encircled about by fire or pillar of fire. Okay. Um, and full of glory, joy, yada, da, all this stuff. And then look at this. We do have a mention of the Holy Spirit of God it did come down from heaven and enter their hearts and filling them with fire. So, and they could speak forth marvelous words. Now, if we're paying attention to 2 Nephi 31, this phrase matters because he talks about speaking the tongue of angels. Angels speak marvelous words. But uh, that's just a fun little side tangent because I'm getting to another point, which is the point of verse 5 of 2 Nephi 32. So then they hear a voice and peace be unto you. Good job. Awesome. And then angels come down. See all this stuff. Okay. Well, this experience is paramount. And this is paramount because Jesus himself refers to this experience. So when we go to this scripture, which we go do all the time, and I know at least half of you go, are we going to third Nephi again? And the answer is yes, going to third Nephi again, because we have to, because this is how the Lord proves all his words. Okay, so in third Nephi 9, and we scroll down to verse 20. You shall offer a sacrifice, broken heart, contrite spirit. Okay, that sounds nice. Well, look here. And whoso does that, offers broken heart, contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. I baptize with fire with the Holy Ghost. Now, now we're getting to the phrase that we've been talking about. Baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So baptism of fire the Holy Ghost, Nephi said that happens after we repent. Well, interesting, uh, Jesus doesn't say repent, but he says offer for sacrifice, broken heart, contrite spirit. So while we're at it, 
why don't we just throw that up here on our synonym board because we can. This is the fun, honestly, guys, this is the fun part about studying the scriptures. You're going to constantly run into this kind of stuff. Here I am trying to show you baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost through um, through synonym phrases where using one instead of the other. Or I, what I like to say is in other words, right? So I'll put here on put here on the board synonym slash quote in other words. Finding other words or other ways to say the same thing. That's what synonyms are for or synonym phrases, in other words. And you're going to find in other words all over the place. So Nephi says back here, 2 Nephi 31. He says in verse 17 that we read, the gate you should enter is this. Repentance and baptism by water, and then comes remission of your sins by finding the Holy Ghost. Well, Jesus says that remission of your sins by finding the Holy Ghost comes after coming unto him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Well, then that means they must be the same thing. So if if we put here on our little synonym board, we got repentance. leading to baptism of fire and Holy Ghost. And then Jesus comes in and he says, well, broken heart and contrite spirit leads us to baptism of fire and Holy Ghost. Well, that means offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit is repentance. And repentance is offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit. So now we've got, now we've got synonyms. Okay, well, back to baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost because that's what we're really after. Sorry for the detour, but but hopefully it, it helps solidify this principle. And by the way, this is just one technique. I told you I have two pages. <laughs> Don't worry, I will not do a 20-point series on this, I promise. It, in fact, if this is lame, I'll only do one. But at most, it'll probably be three, just to get some of the, some of the hitters. Okay, so here we go. We're diving in to verse 20, and he says... Uh, broken heart, contrite spirit. If you do that, I'll baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. So now we have language like Nephi. But then here's where this links to what we just were reading. Even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Okay, that's a little bit of a mouthful. So can we just break it down? The Lord speaks unto us according to our language. Well, According to my language of English, this phrase here is an is even is an adverb. So we have this adverb phrase, even as the Lamanites. It's the mode in which he will baptize us with the fire and the Holy Ghost. So this is where grammar matters. Now I don't care how much you hated English. I don't care how much you hate grammar. If you don't understand your own language and have an under, and uh, have that understanding to read and know what words mean and why those words are there, then how can you understand the Lord when he's talking to you in your own language? It's not possible. So you have to respect the language, and you have to try and put forth that effort. Now, it's totally fine that it could take you 30 minutes just to discover some of the stuff, because it doesn't matter the speed at which you go. 
It doesn't matter. The purpose is putting forth that intent and putting forth that time where you only have 15 minutes. Okay, put 15 minutes into trying to discover what this means. And then at the end of that 15 minutes, you stop here because that's as far as you got. And then the next day you have more 15 minutes, pick up where you left off, all right? Because this can be um, arduous in terms of like a cranial exercise. Your brain is a muscle and thinking really hard and searching exercises it. And so after a while it can hurt and that's an actual real thing. Your brain is just tired of thinking. Well, if you're never exercising that muscle, how are you going to really learn? That is the whole point here. If we want to search diligently, Jesus says, search diligently. Search diligently. First, you got to search. So search means you're actually like looking and moving things around and whatnot. And diligently, that means constantly doing it, doing it a lot. So part of that is being able to dig into the grammar. Now, whether you know that it's called an adverb, that I don't care if you know it's called an adverb. That's not what I mean. Don't misquote me. This is what I mean. You have to know what this phrase means, even as the Lamanites. That's all I mean. I'm telling you it's an adverbial phrase. You just need to know that it means the same as. The mode at which he's going to baptize. All right? I will baptize you with fire with the Holy Ghost in the same way that I did the Lamanites. That's what this phrase means. There's no other way to interpret this phrase. This is what English means, even as the Lamanites, okay? So with that, we now say, okay, he'll do it the same way as the Lamanites. Well, that's this here. Now, I'm not here to prove in this lesson how I know that this Lamanites equals this Lamanites, but Ether 12.14 proves that. Just side note, we're not going to go there. But that's what it is. This is helpful. Why is this helpful? Because as we're putting these pieces together, then we like, okay, we've got Nephi saying baptism of find the Holy Ghost. Then we have Nephi saying receive the Holy Ghost equals receive baptism of find the Holy Ghost, right? So don't lose sight of where we're at. So Nephi says, Receive baptism from the Holy Ghost. And then in the next chapter, he equates that to receiving the Holy Ghost. Right now, my concern is, does the Lord prove what Nephi just did there? And the answer is yes. And that's why I had to show all this. I had to show all this so that you understood what's going on. I need you to understand that Helaman 5, that was a baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. Jesus said it was. And so does Moroni in Ether 12.14. Well, with all of that cool stuff in mind, let's go back to 3rd Nephi and skip forward to Nephi chapter 19. And in 3rd Nephi chapter 19, this is where we get a second witness of what we were just talking about. John Dilson is also doing it with a lot of purpose in mind. Yes, exactly. So that intent saying, I am here to try and figure something out. And when you Take that effort to, when you take that effort to tell the Lord, God, help me have a great understanding here. Help me to understand and see more than I'm seeing. Help me to understand what this phrase means. And you put forth the effort. He's going to enlighten your mind. 
And that's the difference between a mental gym workout in the scriptures versus your workout uh, down at whatever gym you go and work out every day or whatever. The difference is the spirit is actually going to really boost your mind, whereas you're not necessarily going to get a boost of extra muscle from the spirit, you know, by going there. But if you work your mind in the scriptures, you do get that boost. Spiritual steroids, they're legal from God. All right. And that's what's cool, because as you put forth this effort, you're like, I'm not as smart as so and so. All right. Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter because God is going to reward you. Remember, Nephi says, chapter 31, he gives light, or uh, sec, yeah, 2 Nephi 31, he gives light to the understanding. 2 Nephi 31, verse 3 that we read right at the beginning. He gives light to the understanding. As you put forth that effort, he will pour down more light into your mind. And that's what's so exciting. When you start having that light come in, it's really fun. It's really fun because you start understanding more than you ever did before. And you know it's God. You know it's God doing it. You know the Holy Spirit of the Lord is coming into your mind and enlightening you. And that makes this process so worth it. So 3rd Nephi 19, here we go. That's my little tangent. 3rd Nephi 19 brings us to the Lord proving his words, what Nephi did in 2nd Nephi 32. Well, check this out. In chapter 19, we have Nephi comes up out of the water, different Nephi, obviously, and he begins to baptize the other 11 disciples. And he so he baptized all the chosen. That's the other 11. Okay, and then look at this. Same as Helaman 5, but super truncated. That was a longer story. And it came to pass that they were all baptized. When, sorry, when they were all baptized and had come up out of the water. Look at this. The Holy Ghost did fall upon them, same as Helaman 5. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire, same as Helaman 5. And behold, they were encircled about as if it were by fire, same as Helaman 5. And it came down from heaven, same as Helaman 5. And the multitude saw it. Ended bear record, and angels came down and ministered unto them, same as Helaman 5. All right. Why does this matter? Well, if I'm starting to put the pieces together, I'm going, wait a minute, this is the same experience as Helaman 5, and both Jesus and Moroni, two witnesses, said that that was baptism before the Holy Ghost. So then I can start deducing here they're receiving the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Awesome. Well, I think that's. A little proof. Well, check this out. When we scroll down, Jesus shows up and he loves it. He loves, he's so excited because he prayed for them to the Father just prior to this, um, before coming and 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 he pled their case to the Father to say, Father, behold, these disciples, they have kept my word, they've believed on me. And then the Father allows Jesus to adopt them as his sons, and that's when the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes. Okay. Awesome. So Jesus is super happy about this. So he he departs out of the midst, verse 19, and he bows himself and reverently prays to the Father to show him his gratitude. And look at what he says. Father, I thank you that you've given the Holy Ghost. So even Jesus here does the same thing that Nephi did in 2 Nephi 32, verse 5. Because Jesus said in 3 Nephi 9, I'll baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost just like the Lamanites. Well, we come here, and the disciples are baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost, and Jesus doesn't use that phrase. He switches it to the same phrase as Nephi, given the Holy Ghost. Except, remember, Nephi said, receive the Holy Ghost. Now, Jesus is saying, given the Holy Ghost. So, I'm going to just kind of 
fit this in here, given, given the Holy Ghost. Now, if there's anything in our language, in our understanding that hopefully we can all agree on, it's that if someone gives you something and, and you have it, then you receive it. And if you receive something from someone, they gave it to you. So hopefully we realize that that's the same. And so on this little on this little blip here, we can agree that these can belong together, give and receive. So they received the Holy Ghost. Father, I thank you that you've given it to them. In other words, it's the exact same phrase. It's the exact same thing. So we just have a second witness from Jesus himself doing the same thing that Nephi did, saying baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, and then saying receive the Holy Ghost. So now we have the same equals the same here. We have a synonym phrase, or what I like to call the, in other words, and as we study the scriptures, we have to be able to find that because they're all over. They are everywhere. You flip a page, and I bet you there's going to be one on there. And here's where it gets tricky. You flip a page, and it's not necessarily going to be so easy. Like with 2 Nephi 31, it was on this page, and we turn the page. And actually, if you're using the physical book copy, you don't even have to turn it. It's on the other side. So you're on the one, and it says, Baptism of the Holy Ghost. Look on the other side. Oh, look. Receive the Holy Ghost. Bam. Yay, I put together a puzzle. Well. When it gets more advanced is when on this page it's doing, and in other words, for example, Book of Mormon, we're in Alma chapter 5. It's doing, and in other words, of something that Paul said way back in Hebrews. That gets a little bit harder. That's more advanced. And you'll only recognize that one of two ways. One, that you remember that he said it in Hebrews and that it was something similar. Two, that someone points it out for you, which is the cheat way, and I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Free knowledge. Uh, or three, you do your own mini cheat, but it totally counts, and that's by searching in the Gospel Library app, right? Searching phrases. Searching phrases. Just having, just having fun searching. Type on that magnifying glass like we said. Type on it. Let's pull it up. Done. Hit this magnifying glass, and this one's bottom right. Depends on. This is the tablet, though. Bottom right. Type in your search. Look for it. Start looking for phrases, and then you'll find some phrases where, like, baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, and receive the Holy Ghost. The only thing in common is Holy Ghost. The other parts are different. Now, you'll also notice, um, in this case, we have baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost and receive the Holy Ghost. We've also got some that delineate the gift of the Holy Ghost is the same. Now, I'm just throwing that out there because we were talking about that little piece of doctrine, which is fun. Um, and then you'll eventually find that there are these three synonyms of each other through the scriptures. But I'll let you go and discover that. So I, I walked through the first two with you. I told you a third one just as a little cheat. But your job would be to, can you prove it? So again, someone says, this is your interpretation. You're like, no, this is God's interpretation because he proves all his words. 
So then can you go find somewhere in the scriptures where gift of the Holy Ghost is used in the same type of scenario as baptism find the Holy Ghost or we've already got another synonym receive the Holy Ghost or given the Holy Ghost because we've already proven that those are all the same. So if you can find somewhere in the scriptures where gift of the Holy Ghost is now used in the same place as receive the Holy Ghost or given the Holy Ghost, then you can now prove scripturally that they are the same. And you will find it because it is there. I checked this morning. They still hadn't changed it. Cross your fingers. Okay. And that has already taken up most of our time. I didn't want to go too long tonight. I want to go into one more that I mentioned earlier and keep it a little bit a little bit shorter so it's a digestible chunk. But one thing that I mentioned earlier, sarcastically or facetiously, when I was going from 2 Nephi 31 and coming into 2 Nephi 32, you know, I joked that Nephi said, and I'm finishing up this chapter, amen. Now, behold, my beloved brethren, I start my next chapter. <laughs> that's, just not how, that's just not how it happened. These guys would just write, and they would write their prophecy. They would write their story. They would write their blip, and it was as long as the book was. That's just how it was. So, and interestingly, Nephi didn't write in First and Second Nephi. Nephi just, write, just wrote in Nephi, and we have that in the DNC section 10, and I have talked about this before, but I love mentioning it because it's important. So DNC section 10, let me pull that up real quick, to, to make the point, da -da -da, give me section 10. So here in section 10, this is after Joseph has lost the 116 uh, manuscript pages, and the Lord says, hey, don't worry about it for now, because we have the small plates of Nephi, right? And that's what he's talking about here, right above 42. He says, you have the small plates of Nephi, so I want you to publish it. And look here, and behold, you shall publish it as the record of Nephi, which they did. But interestingly, the Lord just calls it the record of Nephi because it was just the record of Nephi. It wasn't the first and second books of Nephi, for whatever reason, that's how it got divided. Now, when we're trying to reference stuff, because the scriptures are a spiritual reference book, we need to find ways to find the information quickly. So we chop it up into chapters. We put little verses so we can find sentences and statements faster. That makes sense. The problem is the way that we use scriptures, uh, it can lose its meaning when we kind of tunnel focus into those chapters and verses. So here was 2 Nephi 31 and 32. Not only are they a part of one big record from the beginning of 1 Nephi to the end of 2 Nephi, and that's important, at the very least, we should be able to see, let me just pull it up here, we should be able to see at the bottom of 31, when he finishes this, he does say amen because he's speaking to his people. And we see that earlier. He's speaking to his people. And then here, and now, my beloved brethren, I suppose you ponder in your hearts. Why do you ponder this in your hearts? He's perceiving that those who listened 
we're not exactly sure what they're supposed to do once they get on the path in the way. So this statement here should clue us into the fact that it's a continuation, a, un, a seamless um, transition. That kind of transition is really important so that you can link mentally all the stuff that's now here in this chapter with the previous chapter. And for these two chapters, it's particularly important because he's really defining the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is also the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's another synonym match for you that we can prove the scriptures. Don't have time tonight, but just take my word for it. Actually, don't take my word for it. Go find for yourself. But this whole idea of this context, the context of what he was talking about in this chapter didn't change here. And the context was understanding the doctrine of Christ. What are the steps? And then we get into this other chapter. He's still talking about the exact same thing. He's trying to find other ways to say it so that they get it. When we say things in different ways, sometimes it clicks here. And sometimes it clicks here, depending on who's listening. So that's why synonyms are important. Synonym phrases or in other words. And that's why the scriptures are full of them. And as you piece them together... You will find that it creates this whole big giant puzzle, which is why this phrase, all truth can be circumscribed into one great whole, that is a true statement. Because God's truth is just one whole. It all ties together and everything ties to each other. And if you have all this stuff that's like random sticking out here and it's not fitting in other stuff, then you might not be understanding it correctly. It's possible you don't have all the pieces yet, uh, but you might not be understanding it correctly. You might be interpreting it wrong. Because at the end of the day, all truth can be circumscribed into one great whole. And that truth is Jesus Christ, or it's his teachings, which is his doctrine, which is the doctrine of Christ. So the doctrine of Christ is the great whole. All right. Okay, so little tangents, I know. But I'm talking about context. So 31 and 32, the doctrine of Christ is the context. Nephi's laying out how to understand the doctrine of Christ. If we keep those two connected, we will miss fewer things and will connect more things. Another great example that I've been using recently and I absolutely love is in Malachi. So let's jump here real quick and I'll just show you what we can use with Malachi in this idea of context. Now I'm talking about chapters, but this same thing applies to verses. Sometimes we put tunnel vision on, we're reading a verse and we jump into a next verse and this verse and this verse, we assume, are totally unconnected. Totally not true. And I'm going to show an example of that here in a second. But right now I'm talking about chapters. Then we're going to talk about verses. And then that'll be wrapped up for tonight until part two. Or I burn those papers because this was too boring and no one cared about it. I'm fine either way. I'm not married or attached to any of this. Hopefully it's useful. If it's not useful, that's okay too. So when we come to Malachi, let me pull this up on the screen. <laughs> That's a good joke, Paleo Dust. Sorry about tangents, but I'm talking about God this. So here, the book of Malachi, notice that it's only four chapters. Well, Malachi, this is the prophecy of Malachi, and that's more aptly stated. The prophecy of Malachi is just one big prophecy that lasts uh, as long as those four chapters, but he didn't write it in four chapters. These people that are trying to make divisions so that we can find stuff easier, they're just trying to find where there might be little mini transitions 
you know, he's saying a little transition here, so that's a good place for a chapter break, right? So I'm going to skip to chapter three. So despite the fact that we could make the argument chapters one through four need to just bleed together, same context, all talking about the same thing, which that's true, that takes longer to prove. What we can look at here, chapter three, linking it to chapter four, that we need to make sure that we're combining chapter three and chapters three and four the same way we were talking about second Nephi 31 32, making sure that we link those together. So here chapter three, verse one, he starts with talking about sending a messenger. Okay. So he's talking about sending a messenger to prepare for the way of the Lord. And then as we go into chapter four, he's still talking about the same thing. Notice we have no, no particular transition from verse 18 to chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh. Now this phrase, for, comma, behold, this for is a continuation of something previous. Whenever you see for, comma, that's a, well, continuing a previously discussed thing. Here we go. Behold, the day comes that burns as an oven. This is the day of the Lord, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. All right. Now, at the end of the chapter, we have that phrase, actually, great and dreadful day of the Lord. But look what we have at the end of this chapter. Behold, I send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he'll do, he'll turn the heart of the fathers to the children. Basically, he'll cause the people to come under the new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart, contrary spirit. That's basically what that verse means. Now, the point of pointing out the context of chapter three, chapter four, is so that we can understand that sending Elijah, look, look, look. Elijah is the messenger. See this? The beginning of chapter three, he says, I will send. And the end of chapter four, which is not that many verses later, these are small chapters. Excellent to read if you haven't done your scripture study and it's 1130 at night, read Malachi three. You only got 18 verses, you get full credit and it's awesome. If you want extra credit, do chapter four, because it's really just like one chapter. You got it. Okay. But look here. I will send. So here is, here is a pattern we start to see throughout the scriptures. We can expect this. We can expect this kind of pattern. Let's come over here to my whiteboard. Again, this is a challenge of of talking about how to study the scriptures because so many of the techniques, um, I try and talk about one technique, but it's so hard because it brings up multiple techniques at the same time, which makes it fun, but also challenging. All right. So we can start to expect this kind of a pattern where we have the in other words or synonym phrases. And then we get some new definitions out of it. Well, in this case, just like with Nephi, where we had the sort of a, the clue in word where he's talking about entering the, pa the path, entering the way. Well, in here in Elijah, we have, I will send you my messenger. 
I will send Elijah. So, and that's a form of English right there where, where you put them literally back to back, right? If you put them literally back to back, it's a rhetorical device or just a way of speaking. Um, you know, if I'm standing, I say, look, I will send you food. I will send you pizza. Then in this case, you know that the food I'm going to send is pizza. And now we're all hungry. But the, the Lord here is doing the same thing. He's just not doing it exactly back to back. He's not saying, I will send you my messenger. I will send you Elijah. But notice how chapter three starts with that phrase and chapter four ends with that phrase. Beginning and the end. This is a pattern you're going to see all the time. What he says here, then he says it here again. I will send you my messenger. I will send you Elijah. You know that his messenger is Elijah. So you know that the messenger that comes can be called Elijah. And then you read Joseph's uh, April 10th, or sorry, March 10th discourse of 1844, the spirits of Elias, Elijah, and Messiah, which I don't have time to go into, obviously, because that's not what it's about. But I'm just telling you for your sake, if you want to kind of go, I will send you Elijah. And then read in um, his August 27, 1843 discourse, where he says, how will the Lord come to the rescue of this generation? He will send Elijah the prophet. I love it. That's Joseph Smith coming back. Spoiler. Anyway, the whole point here was about context. So we have this pattern of what we saw Nephi do. And, and it's coming up again. And we have, I will send, and hopefully this is hitting home. I will send, and then we have my messenger. Messenger, no, I did not spell it fully. I will send, and then we get Elijah. Okay, so again, we have this same pattern going. He couldn't help himself, right? But isn't that cool? It's awesome, and you're going to see it throughout the scriptures. And this alone can unfold so many things. But the context was just proven. See, chapter three and chapter four. That was that that being one context is proven just by that little link. I will send you my messenger. I will send you Elijah. That helps us be like, wait a minute. He's talking about sending someone. He's talking about sending someone here, sending someone here. Is he talking about two totally different sending someones? No, he's not talking about sending two different someones. He's talking about sending the same someone. And we know it's talking about the sending the same someone. That was a tongue twister. Uh, we know that it is because preparing the way for the Lord to come, which we know the Lord's second coming, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we have that reference also here at the end of chapter four. Okay, so there's there's another link. And then, look here. And the Lord, whom you seek, if you're seeking him, those so he's obviously talking to those who seek the Lord, shall suddenly come to his temple. Whose temple? Even the messenger of the covenant. Well, this is just like even as the Lamanites. English, <laughs> English says that, that means the same even or the same messenger of the covenant. Now, interesting, the same messenger of the covenant. Well, here he just said my messenger. So now he's expanded that by saying messenger of the covenant. 
So that's now a synonym phrase, messenger, or messenger of the covenant, or Elijah. Well, the covenant is already mentioned here. Now, here, he doesn't say covenant. So this is where it gets a little more advanced. Over time, after, you, after you've learned what covenant is and what covenant's all about, and the covenants of the fathers and planting in the hearts of the children, uh, then you see that it's the same. Now, hopefully you can catch the fact that, um, that this verse was restated by Moroni in, in his visit to Joseph Smith, and that's in DNC section two, and this will help us link all of this. And I promise we'll be done. So this is proving the words. Here it is. Section two, Moroni is quoting the same verses, but he uses other words. I will reveal unto you the priesthood, interesting, by the hand of Elijah before the coming of the grateful day of the Lord. Okay, awesome. But then look here. And he'll plant in the fathers of the children the promises made to the fathers and the hearts of the children turned to their fathers. Okay, so why do I bring up this? Because of this word here. A covenant is composed of what? What is a covenant composed of? Of promises. So, sending a messenger. Messenger of the covenant. Elijah the messenger. What's Elijah doing? Promises. He's bringing promises. Well, messenger of the covenant. He's the messenger. The message that the messenger brings is of the covenant. Elijah brings the promises, which are which promises? The promises of the covenant. So then we can link all of that together. They all go together. That proves that Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, from beginning of Malachi 3 all the way to the end of Malachi 4, is all talking about the same thing. Now you can read those two chapters together, understanding that the entire context is all the same. And when you know that that context is the same, that's super helpful. Oh, I said that I was done, but no, no, no. I had the, I had the verse-by-verse context, and then we're done. So this is the last one, and here we go. So verse-by-verse verse context, we're going to go to 103, which we come to a lot. And this is disputed. This is disputed in some circles and shouldn't be because if we understand that God speaks to us in our language according to understanding and he proves his words and he uses the rules of grammar and context and not just changing subjects randomly and not making any sense because he's a God of confusion, then we can read this passage and understand it. And it makes some people mad because they don't like the conclusion, and that's okay. God proves his words. So here in 103, behold, I say unto you, redemption of Zion has to come by power. Okay, so we have to redeem Zion, and it needs power to do it. Therefore, since it needs power, our next, by the way, our next lesson, if we have it, if we get 500 views of this video, just kidding, whatever. If we have it, we'll start talking about some of these linking words um, therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who will lead them like Moses led children of Israel. Okay, so a deliverer. For you're the children of Israel, seed of Abraham, and you need to be led out of bondage by, again, power. Stretched out arm. Now, which power? The same kind of power that Moses had, which is the power of God. The sealing power. Can't go into that more at the moment, but just fun fact. And then, as your fathers were led at the first, so shall redemption of Zion be. This phrase is talking about 
e and as or even as see even so so we have and as and even so in other words we have the lord saying in the same way that the children of israel were delivered out of egypt with with miraculous power of god and led out of bondage the same shall happen for redeeming zion so we should be able to expect some parallel here okay going on he's still talking about the same thing redemption of zion so don't get caught up in oh this verse is talking about this this verse is a totally new thing and has nothing to do with this verse and now this verse is a totally new thing has nothing to do with this verse god did not speak in verses and behold i begin verse 16 period 17 forget verse 16 new thing semicolon verse 18 even though there's a semicolon new thing don't pay attention to that nothing to see there look here that's not how the scriptures work so you have to just read it together strip it of the verses and read it it's one revelation that matters because we're getting to the best part i'll raise up a man lead them like moses you need to be led out by power and as your fathers were led out even so okay great so all the same stuff therefore don't let your hearts faint for i'm not going to say unto you that just my angel go before you not my presence no this time is going to be better because you're going to be better just i'm filling in some between the lines i get it taking some liberties but i say unto you my angels will go before you and also my president and also my presence and in time you'll possess a goodly land verily verily i say unto you my servant joseph smith jr is the man whom i liken to the servant da, 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 da. what servant the servant who redeems zion the parable I gave unto you was the parable of the redemption of Zion. And Joseph is the servant in the parable who redeems Zion. And we're talking about redeeming Zion. So we have redeeming Zion. We have the parable of redeeming Zion. Joseph is the servant. Well, servant? Moses was a servant who led the children of Israel. Joseph is a servant who will lead us. So contextually... This is all the same. Some people out there argue that verse 21 starts a new revelation. That makes no sense. What do you mean? Where does it say? Verily, verily does not begin something new. Verily, verily ties in things together. Now, that's in the next lesson for part two when we do this again in the near future. As long as we get 500 views on this video, share with your friends. Okay. But regardless of the words verily, verily, which is a summary statement, which means something came before it. It doesn't matter. You could even delete verily, verily. It doesn't matter because he says in the parable that I gave and in the parable that he gave, he talked about this. And interestingly, two sentences or three sentences before he says this statement, guess what he was also talking about? This, same thing, same thing. The Lord isn't just changing gears. New verse, new verse, new thing. Forget what I said. Don't pay attention. Baloney. Pay attention and link. When you're reading a revelation, when you're reading a prophecy, when you're reading the record of Nephi, the record of Alma, whatever, the Book of Mormon. By the way, who wrote the Book of Mormon? Mormon wrote the Book of Mormon. And so from the beginning of the Book of Mormon to the end of the Book of Mormon, Moroni, Mormon has one context and Moroni finishes it. It's one message. You need to expect this pattern. You need to expect this pattern all throughout the scriptures where all this kind of stuff is happening left and right. And more things that uh, I wish I could get to all of them. I have two pages of notes of this stuff. 
but you will get more out of the scriptures if you apply these. Context, looking for these synonyms, in other words, and looking for the Lord to prove his words. We start to find that all truth does circumscribe into one great whole, that the scriptures link left and right in more pieces than you ever imagined, and it is not your private interpretation. It is the Lord's interpretation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.